Good morning, everyone. How is everyone doing? Good? Good. I don't know. After worship, I was like, I don't know why, but I'm like extra excited to preach this morning. Worship was just so good, and I feel like, well, at least for me, and I hope for everyone, just put so many like good reminders on my heart about who God is. And I know this season of life looks so different for each and every single one of us, but that God is the same even like through the season. This has absolutely nothing to do with my message. But I was just thinking about that all throughout worship. Like, who God is is so consistent, and it stays and it's steadfast through anything that we're going through. And that's so encouraging. Even if you're discouraged, or I hope you're not discouraged, but if you are, that should be encouraging to you. That's such an encouraging reminder that no matter what, God has remained the same, and we can look to him for every help that we need. And I guess that does kind of relate to what we're going to talk about this morning. But I'm going to go ahead and pray really quickly. Lord, thank you so much uh, for each and every single person uh, who's here, whether they're here present, whether they're watching online, watching online later, whatever. You love them so much, Lord, and I thank you for that fact. I thank you uh, for your grace and your compassion towards them, Lord. I pray that as I speak this morning that you would just be speaking, God. I pray that it's not my voice that Uh, people here, but it's your voice, God. It's your message. It's your heart for your people, God. I thank you so much for the privilege and the opportunity, Lord. And I just pray a blessing over each and every single one of your people this morning, that you would be with them, that you would be leading them, and that you would be guiding them. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, And like I said, as always, I'm glad to be able to share with you guys this morning. I feel like in this season of life, the Lord has been speaking so many things to my heart. And sometimes, When you, like, get ready and you know you're going to preach, it's hard because you're like, okay, Lord, what's separate? Like, what's just what you've been speaking to me that's just for me, that's just personal for my life? And what's something that's, like, edifying to the body as a whole? Like, no matter what my knowledge is, no matter what I know, like, God knows each and every single one of his people, so he knows what it is that they need to hear. So I was just really, like, hungry for the Lord to tell me not so much just what he's been speaking to me, but, like, what is it specifically, Lord, that you want to share with your people? Like, what is it that you want to say to them? And I felt like the Lord uh, really put on my heart maintaining a posture of faith. And at first, I'm not going to lie, I was kind of disappointed, which sounds terrible, because faith is a great thing. But I was like, Lord, I feel like I'm always talking about faith. Like, in one way or another, I feel like everything I have to say is revolving around faith, which as a Christian, maybe it should a little bit. But I was like, God, like, really, that's, that's what you're, like, that's what you want me to say? But one, of course, I was going to be obedient to whatever the Lord was telling me to say. And two, uh, as the Lord was just, like, revealing, like, what he wanted me to say about faith, I realized, you know, I don't think... I've ever really shared, like, from this aspect of faith. And I don't think that this is a message that I would ever want to, like, not share because it was such a different perspective that really spoke into my life and I hope speaks into your life. But I think that's also the exciting part about when you get to prepare messages. It's like you can't leave preparing a sermon the same way that you started. Like, when you really dive into scripture like that on a topic, you're going to be changed. Like, there's something about you that's going to resonate with what you're saying. And that's just how it works out. And that's such a blessing, honestly. Um, But that's why my prayer this morning really is that you don't hear my words. But you really hear God speaking because I do think that he has something that he wants to say to each and every single one of you. Uh, Talking about maintaining a posture of faith, I feel like it's so general like as a title because you think okay what aspect of faith are we talking about are we talking about the faith are we talking about having faith like what aspect of it and there's so many different definitions even within faith like is it the things unseen is it uh hoping is it believing is it this is it that there's so many things that we can talk about and then you're like well why is it something we need to maintain what does posture have to do with faith all of these things but (laughs) i want to clarify that what i'm talking about is 
always asking God to do something in our life, always being open and always believing uh, that God is going to do something in your life. And it's about being intentional, about always believing God to do something. Because it's not necessarily something that's going to be at the forefront of our mind. Um, it's in here later, but I'm going to mention it right now. When everything is like fine and dandy and okay, it's not always the disposition of our heart to believe God for something. You know, I have food, I have a home, I have this, I have that. What do I really need to be believing God for? But there's always something that we can set our faith to. It's us challenging ourselves to believe God to do something in our lives, no matter what our circumstances look like, no matter how well off we might be in the moment. And in essence, what we're asking is for God to provide what we can't provide for ourselves, to extend beyond who we are and what it is that we are right in that specific moment. And whether it's literal provision for something tangible, um, like a job, well, I guess a job's intangible, but (laughs) whether it's a home or food or groceries or whether it's something different where it's a family member who's kind of strayed away that you've kind of given up on praying, like asking God for that restored faith to continue praying for them, standing on faith that they will be saved, that, you know, God loves them more than you could love them. Or there are so many categories of increasing our faith, whether it's increasing our faith for belief in what the word of God says, not just reading it with our heads and it coming in, but like really getting that like revelation and that gut of like everything that the word of God says is true and I stand firm on it, whether it's having the faith just to believe that God is who he says he is, whatever it is, we have to push ourselves and challenge ourselves to extend beyond uh, just a box of I need this right now or I need that. Um, And it can be something minor or something major, but by believing God for these things, we are setting our faith in God and inviting God to be a part of our lives. We're including him. And I don't know, I think that sounds a little bit weird, but... God wants to be a part of our lives, and I think we all know that. But everyone does not allow God to be who he is in his fullness in their life, and that's just a fact. Um, Isaiah 26, 3 through 4 says, Says of God, or says of God, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. And I think this is an amazing verse about the promise of perfect peace, But it's not like it just says, you will keep in perfect peace, everyone, because you just love us all so much. Um, That would be great, but that's not what it says. It says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And it's not a bait and switch kind of thing. It's right there that in order to be in perfect peace, we have to be trusting in the Lord. We have to have our thoughts fixed on the Lord. And I think even in today's times, especially in today's times, it's hard um, to be in perfect peace. I think there are a lot of people right now who are struggling with peace. But as believers, um, not that we don't struggle, but if we're struggling with peace, we have to check ourselves, check our trust. Where is our trust? Is our trust in the Lord where it should be? Are our thoughts fixed on the Lord where they should be? Because the promise is right there that the Lord will keep in perfect peace all who trust in the Lord, all whose thoughts are fixed on the Lord. And Numbers 23:19 reads, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Meaning, his promises still stand today without lack or amendment or conditions. If he said it, that's what it is. And we can't add to it. We can't subtract from it. And God's promises extend far beyond just peace, far beyond just that aspect. And it's not meant in a harsh way, but... I think as a whole, believers are missing out on so much of who God is. And I don't mean that as a 
arrogant statement because I have a lot of growing to do still as a person. But it's the fact that once we're self-aware, we're going to attune ourselves to caring more about what am I missing in the Lord? What can I continue to seek from the Lord for my life? Uh, Matthew 21, 21 through 22 reads, Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. Stretching ourselves to greater faith is edifying to ourselves. And I think that's kind of like the caveat of it all is you're like, okay, on one hand, I'm stretching myself to greater faith, but like, is it bad just to be believing God for things? Is it bad just to like want from God? But that's not the point of stretching yourself in faith. The point is what it, what it brings out in you and what it brings out in your perspective of God because you're stretching yourself. So it's not about what you're getting. It's about what you're gaining in perspective and what you're gaining in your view of God. If that makes sense. Hopefully that makes sense. Uh, greater faith is both believing God for bigger things and believing God for smaller things a lot more. So it's a both and. And that's really the point I'm trying to make is no matter what your current level of faith is, we can have faith in God for more. We can believe God for greater and none of it is beyond his reach. And like I said, the point isn't so that we can get, 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 but so that we can see God for who he really is. And true faith dissolves the box of limitation that we try to put around God. And... I want to say it's like an A.W. Tozer quote, and I hope I'm not quoting it incorrectly, but basically the idea that when we think about God, we can lean towards participating in idolatry if we form God after our own construct, after ourselves. And I know that's kind of like complicated to think about, but it's the idea that we're projecting a better version of ourselves as who God is instead of actually seeing God just purely for who he is, not based upon ourselves, not based upon... Um, our own belief, but simply based upon the word of God and reading who God is and interacting with him. So point being, it's not about, you know, the box we can put God in. It's not about the limitations we can tend to set God on. It's about taking God for face value, I guess is the best way to say it. See it, say it. Read the word, believe what it says, and take it at face value. We don't need to add anything to it. We definitely don't need to subtract from it. But when God says, this is who I am, just believe it and accept it. But for that, we need faith. And it's not a tiny faith that we need to do that. It's great faith that we need to do that. The world wants to dumb down who God is and make it smaller and, like, secular humanism and, like, the whole idea of just, like, something bigger being out there. But no, God is great and awesome and mighty and power and all of these things. And when we allow that truth to be so real in our lives and we allow that to really take roots in our hearts, the kind of life that we're living will be so different like the condition of our hearts our emotional well-being our mental well-being our state of health in every single area will be so different like i like the song that they were singing talking about authority the authority that we have in christ we have to live in that knowledge and that revelation the power that we have in christ we have to live in that knowledge and that revelation everything that christ has for us we have to live in that knowledge and that revelation but that all takes faith it's not about believing in ourselves and who we are and what we can do it's about believing in god and his word and what he says to be true and standing firm on that and not allowing a single person to come against you when you say this is what i believe and this is the word of god allowing no doubt in your mind to cast down what is true about the gospel, what is true about the word of God, but continuing and persevering and pressing forward in faith saying, no, this is what I believe. This thing will not overtake me. Whatever it is will not 
cause doubt to enter my mind. Whatever it is will not discourage me, but encouraging us in the faith, separating, spending time with the Lord to be encouraged. He is the great encourager, and he wants to encourage us for whatever we're going through in life. And that was totally, like, not what I was talking about. But uh, we should push ourselves to have faith in God for something, because in that place we acknowledge God as our provider. And it's not just that we are acknowledging him as our provider, but as being far above us. And when we acknowledge where God is and where we are, we know that he's the one that will lay it all on the line for because we know he'll come through. Even though we can't necessarily see it right in front of us, we know that he's not going to just leave us hanging like, okay, great, you had faith in me, that's on you. No, he's going to say, you had faith in me, and because of that, I came through for you. And uh, there's a worship song. I honestly don't, I don't want to try and guess what year it came out. I want to say maybe like the 2010s, but it's called Take a Moment, and I think it's by Will Reagan, and you guys might know it, you might not know it, but uh, there's a repeated line in the song that says, take a moment to remember who God is and who I am. There you go, lifting my load again, talking about God, like lifting the load off of him, and the reason I bring that song up is because I think, for one, it reminds me of the never-ending chasm between me and God. And that's not like a self-deprecating thing. It's a true thing. I am no one compared to who God is. But, and that's in terms of wisdom, in terms of magnitude, in terms of strength, all of those things. But even so, Jesus came that we might be reconciled to God anyway. And, who, like, what Jesus did and who Jesus is builds a bridge to, like, gap, like, get rid of that gap that's in the chasm between who we are and who God is, but it doesn't change our position, right? Like, there's still that huge chasm between who God is and who I am, but because of the bridge that Jesus built, I have access to everything that God is. So that power is imparted to me, that strength is imparted to me, that might is imparted to me. Everything that I'm not is granted to me for free because of what Jesus did. And it's just like that brings that into my mind like there he goes lifting our load again there he goes doing what i can't do for myself again there he goes taking everything that i can't take on for myself again and it's being humble enough to be in that position to ask for help and that is what faith is we're not trying to do it in our own strength right like our strength is like the size of a vegetable that doesn't move compared to god's strength right and we're trying to do that in vegetable strength when god has his strength for us, First uh, Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, Paul writes, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. And Paul did that so that they would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. And what a great spiritual leader who really set them up for success to say, I'm going to throw away all of these things except for being empowered by the Holy Spirit, that you won't look to me, you won't look to man, you won't look to man's wisdom, but that you will fully and wholly and only rely on the power of God. And it's a perspective to be gained for all of us that human wisdom can't hold a candle to the power of God. We all know that. 
And the only thing that we should rely on is God. And that makes sense conceptually. But then I think about, you know, how we choose to live out our lives. And I'm like, you know, I don't know that we always live our lives in light of that truth. And it's actually kind of interesting how human wisdom uh, can kind of talk ourselves out of faith sometimes, if that makes sense, or talk ourselves out of seeing the power of God. Um, And by that, I mean we can think in a way that is on par and on track with human wisdom. It sounds great and it looks good for all of those standards. And we assess the wise choices and we act on them or we behave accordingly to what we're thinking that makes sense, that's smart, that's intelligent, not realizing that the more our wisdom fills, fills the room, the more we're pushing God out of the room. And when I say that, of course, I mean that figuratively. But if we are filling up our minds, our spirits, our souls, everything so, so, so much with our own wisdom, what room are we leaving for God to speak to us? What room are we leaving for what he has to say? What are his opinions on what we're thinking? Um, And I think sometimes we can think we're doing God a favor, like, oh, we're not bothering him. Like, I can handle this myself. So... Why not? Like, oh, I'm smart enough to tackle X, Y, and Z. Like, I'm just going to do it. I'm smart enough to discern what the right decision is here, so why don't I just do that? And I can leave God alone because, like, he's great, and I don't want to bother him with this thing. But (laughs) that's not how intimate relationship works. And I think that's a hard concept to understand sometimes. Like, oh, I'm bothering God with something so trivial or something so minor. But when you think about our friendships, like, on the earth or, like, our relationships with family members, even if it's small and it's something we're vested in, we include them in the process. Even if it's something like little and we don't necessarily need help, like yes, there are decisions we make every day by ourselves. But when you really love someone, if you're enjoying something or you're taking steps somewhere, you're going to include the people that you love in your process. You're going to share, you're going to let them know what's going on in your life. And it's even more so with God. There are even those small, minor details that we don't share with anyone else. God desires to be a part of. It's not like you're burdening him. It's Jesus came specifically so that we could be reconciled with him. He came for this reason, that we could keep the posture of having an intimate relationship with God. And we're best empowered in relationship with God. Like The Bible tells us that those who are in intimate relationship with God will do exploits for him. But that is predicated upon being in an intimate relationship with God. But the promise is with that relationship comes doing exploits for God. And we're so set on trying to like accomplish things in our own strength, accomplish things for ourselves. But if we'll just submit and be under God and all of those things, it's when we're going to see the best happen in our life. And I do want to clarify, I'm not saying that wisdom is bad in any way, shape, or form. Obviously, for one, there's a difference between human wisdom and godly wisdom. Uh, But we also have to be careful because wisdom is not meant to replace God in our lives. Uh, If we look at the Bible, even godly wisdom is a safeguard for our lives. It's to keep us from stumbling into things that we were never meant to to for discerning between situations. But that still, in its true and its purest form, starts in relying on God. It starts in having faith in God because we're not going to be able to do any of that just operating out of our own wisdom or out of our flesh. I mean, we can look at the life of Solomon and kind of see how things went south with wisdom. Like, he started out great asking God for wisdom, but in his wisdom, not that he rose up in pride or anything, but he started separating himself from the focus of having a relationship with God to earthly-minded things, which, you know, not great. Um, And like I said, true, pure, godly wisdom can only overflow from faith in God. It can't come from anywhere else. So faith must come first. Faith has to be what fills the room. 
God wants to be involved. Like I said, he cares. He wants to be a part of your process. And stepping out in faith and stepping out in our own wisdom, in all honesty, it could lead to the same thing depending on what the situation is. You doing what you think is best versus if you would have consulted God for what he thought is best, you could wind up in the same place. And I'm not saying that's impossible, but only one of them puts God in fullness of you. When you think about the two options that you could take, in one of them you realize how great God is and how he led you into the right place. And in the other one you think about how great you are and how you led yourself into the right place. And I think a lot of times we can make a good decision, do the right thing, and give ourselves a pat on the back when we miss out on an opportunity to have a really special moment with God if we would have let him be a part of the process. And it's not because where we ended up is wrong. It's just that if I would have included God, you know, what benefit would that have done to our relationship? When you think about starting a project with someone, whether it's like if you're going to build a home, you could do that by yourself. And at the end, you're going to give yourself a pat on the back for saying, yes, I built this house by myself. But if you gather loved ones around you and you all build this house together, how much closer are you going to be after you finish that project? How much closer are you going to be after you guys build this house together? You know, you're going to see aspects of those loved ones that you hadn't seen before because of what you journeyed out to do. You're going to see yourself in a different way uh, because of this thing that you set out to do. And, again, I'm not saying that we are dumb and we can't make decisions for ourselves or anything like that but sometimes it's okay to lay our wisdom our intellect our intelligence aside and consult with god about things not because we're bothering god but simply because we're including him to be a part of our process and we do have to be careful if we're so convinced that everything that we say or we think is right without talking to god first um this is just like a random thing that i felt the lord dropped in my heart when i was Um, preparing this but we can be quick to think that god would just automatically agree with whatever it is that we think like i think this therefore it's right therefore god would automatically agree with me so everything is fine but we never even sat down with god and said what do you really think about this what is really your opinion about this and i don't know whether it's because we tend to be scared to be corrected or we don't want conviction or whatever it is but it's okay like the best thing that we can do is surrender ourselves to receive the right perspective from God. Whatever God says, we can trust. So once we actually submit those opinions or those ideals to God, whatever he says is going to be the final word on it, and we can move confidently in that. We can trust that that is what's going to be right moving forward. And it's about asking God, not asking a person to get human wisdom, not asking for a million different opinions, but never seeking God. It's what God means when he wants to have a relationship with us. Like, is God physically here present the way another person is present? No. But we can choose to include him and allow him to be a part of our lives in the most abundant way that we really can in the way that we could with a person, even though he's not physically present in the same way, if that makes sense. Um, If we're dependent on faith, our assurance isn't coming from ourselves. And I think that's one of the most powerful things about faith is that it makes you take a step out of yourself for a second and be fully reliant on God. Well, if you're putting your faith in God, you can put your faith in a person. And that's not a good thing. But if you choose to put your assurance in God, you're stepping out of yourself. You're not putting everything on yourself. And in that way, you've allowed God to take it all of the responsibility But without faith, we are on our own assurance. And in that way, we're kind of taking our life into our own hands. Like, yes, 
God is sovereign, and that's great. But if God is trying to speak something to us and we choose to move in our own assurance, are we allowing God to be sovereign in our life? No. So we can't just, like, give everything this caveat of, like, who God is. Like, oh, yeah, God is all-powerful. But when you chose to do something that you knew God wouldn't have approved of you doing, like, you still did it. Does that make sense? Like, we say that as if to justify everything that we're doing or all of our actions or this and that. When it's like, no, there is a standard to us being obedient to God and us putting our faith and our trust in God to see those things happen, to actually be on the right path that we're supposed to be on. And... I know personally, I would not like to be in charge of my own life. I would not like to have to decide everything that's going to happen. I would not like to have to provide everything for myself and do everything for myself in my own strength. That sounds majorly exhausting. Not something that I want to do. Um, But if we refuse to shift uh, the assurance from ourselves to God, honestly, that's just pride. It's us puffing up in ourselves as if we can do everything, and it's misplaced faith. We're putting faith in ourselves to do things that we quite honestly can't really do, or if we think that we can do them, it's going to end up being a fraction of what it could be because we decided to do it in our own strength. Um, But (laughs) the good news is that faith in God cancels pride. We can't have both of those things coincide, and you're not going to truly believe God for everything that you need and to provide everything for you and rise up in pride at the same time. Those two things don't coincide but if in your mind you feel like oh yeah i can do this like by myself without god then i'm not saying that you're a prideful person but i'm saying i would do a personal check to say am i allowing god into this situation like i could am i allowing god to speak to me in this situation like i could and when we become too accustomed to uh, not needing God, like I was saying earlier, when everything around us seems to be going fine and going well, so we don't push ourselves or we don't challenge ourselves to stay in faith, that's when things can uh, honestly head down the road to pride. And I think the difficulty is, like I said before, when everything is going well for us, we don't necessarily want to bother God. We're like, you know, everything's going great. I don't really need anything. You know, I'm fine. I'm not going to ask God for things. But that's why I think it's really important and really helpful to just always be believing God for something. And that can be, like, something so small. Like, Lord, I believe that you're going to, like, put someone in my path today who isn't saved so I can talk to them and win them to the Lord. Or, Lord, I'm believing that my favorite restaurant, somehow I'm going to be able to get food from there today. That sounds dumb. But at least you're believing God for something. At least you're pushing yourself into a mindset of saying, whatever it is that I want, I can't do it in my own strength. And I think that's a daily confession that we have to be mindful of and be aware of, that I can't do everything by myself. I can't do everything in my own strength. And that's the best place that we can be in because that's where God comes in. And Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, we think that we're, like, troubling God or, like, oh, I just want to give God a break from the toilsome work of helping us as if it's difficult for him. Like, no, doing things for us is very, very easy for God. Nothing is hard for God. Um, But then it's when that next thing comes up and we've kind of retrained ourselves to rely on ourselves because everything in our life has been going really well that when a new situation does arrive and it does present itself, our default is no longer to seek God for help. Our default is to seek ourselves for the solution, to seek ourselves for help. And that's kind of a dangerous place. Not even kind of. That's a dangerous place to be in. Um, it's not just wanting things from God because that's fruitless. Uh, like we said, it's actively getting to know God 
so well that our faith isn't just a maybe or it's a gamble, but it's a guarantee. We know because I know who God is and I'm so sure of who God is and my faith is so strong in who God is. I seek God so intently that I receive the blessing of his hand. And those two things go so well together, I guess is what I'm trying to say, because when you seek God and you see God for who he really is, there's no lack and there's no doubt in terms of what he can do and what he can provide for you. So in theory, it sounds bad to say, you know, I'm always going to maintain a posture of faith. I'm always going to stand in faith because we think, oh, my gosh, I'm just asking God for things. I'm just getting things from God. But what you're doing is seeking God and gaining because you're seeking God. Is that making sense? Is that kind of? Okay, great. Thank you guys for actually nodding. <laughs> so I know. <laughs> but uh, Romans one seventeen says, This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And I think that's powerful and important because everything is start to finish. Oh, sorry. It starts to finish by faith. We can't do anything really for God apart from God. And we can like think or disillusion ourselves that we're doing the right thing by being strong in ourselves or by following what we believe is right or this really looks like wisdom to me and that's great. But it's start to finish by faith. And if we want to be counted as righteous, there's no being counted as righteous apart from faith. There's no being in right standing with God apart from faith. Uh, Romans 4, 20 through 25 says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And what God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit, too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, he was handed over to die because of our sins. And he raised us to life to make us right with God. Um, And here we see that none of Abraham's confidence came from himself. Like nothing that Abraham was believing for was because he thought he did the right thing or he thought I'm so special that I know this is going to happen for me. It was all foundationally placed upon who Abraham knew God to be. And based off of that, uh, and there's some verses later with Abraham, but based simply and purely off of that, Abraham was ready to do whatever it was that God asked him because he had faith and he knew and he was ready to move just based off of his faith. And like we read, it was counted to him as righteousness. And there's no, like I said, there's no difficulty in trusting God when we see him for who he really is. If I know, or not just know, if I really, 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 really believe everything that God said he is, I'm going to act and I'm going to move on it. And it's going to be great because you're not wavering. You're not going back and forth. And the Bible tells us not to do that because then we're a double-minded person and nothing that we ask we will get. Um which I don't think I put that in there, but it's true. Uh, And the last two points I'm just kind of going to wrap together, not for sake of time, but just because they actually go together, uh, which is that faith combats complacency and that faith acts. And the reason that these two things go together is that complacency is being satisfied with what you see around you, like no desire for more. And our faith grates that. Our faith pretty much like hates that mentality of like everything around me is fine just the way that it is. And 
it goes against it, but sometimes we can push back on the fact that our faith goes against it. And that's when we just kind of like live in this bubble of like wanting more and hoping for more. But we have to allow our faith to push into great so much that it causes us to act, that it moves us to action, that it moves us just from like a thought life of I want more and I'm believing for more to an act life of God, how can I be obedient so that I actually see this more come to fruition in my life? And our faith is showing us beyond what's in front of us. And we have to let that push us forward to act in some way. And that's why when we think about that fight between faith and complacency, um, I like Hebrews 11.1 1, where it says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, for it is the evidence of things we cannot see. And without faith, we can't obtain the unseen. Faith like forcefully grabs on to what it is that it can't see and claims it for itself even though it's unseen and when we look at hebrews 11:11 11, with sarah it says it was by faith that even sarah was able to have a child though she was barren and was too old she believed that god would keep his promise and so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead and a nation with so many people like that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore there is no way to count them And complacency keeps you where you are, but faith takes you to a place you could never imagine. So at that point in Sarah's life, um, she wasn't really believing for a child. Like when you really look at it, she wasn't expecting anything. She had accepted what her reality was. I'm too old to have a kid. My husband is too old (laughs) for me to have a kid. And like everything like that. But it wasn't like she was fighting it. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this won't happen for me. It made sense. Like, wisdom-wise, knowledge-wise, whatever you want to label it, it made sense that she was not going to have a child based off of what was right in front of her. But uh, in Ephesians 3, we know that God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask, think, or imagine. And that, in essence, is what our faith is grabbing onto, is that concept, is that ideal, that no matter what I can see in front of me right now, my faith operates in the unseen. So even though she wasn't like hoping like that wasn't what sarah was asking for it wasn't what she was i'm sure years ago that's what she was asking for years ago that's what she was like believing like oh god if i could have a kid but now as she comes into relationship with god she's actually grabbing on with faith for god to do this in her life and i'm sure seeing abraham's obedience helped like i think one of my favorite uh parts in the bible is when sarah laughs at the fact that she's going to have a kid and she's like oh, no, I didn't laugh, and then God is like, yes, you did, and that's totally random. I don't know why I think that's hilarious, Um, because God did not let her off the hook. He was like, yeah, you definitely did laugh. Um, But I think it's like that with us, too. We can sometimes think things are so unfathomable or so couldn't be in our life or so far-fetched and out of our reach, but that's where God operates if we let him. And I think that's kind of the point of everything, is if we only let God operate in this small window, you know what he's going to because he loves you and he cares about you. But if you allow God to operate where there's no limits and just an open field of God, do whatever you want to, work in me whatever you want to work in me, then he's going to because he loves you and that's who he is. Um, Like I said, we are wrapping up with these last two points, and there's just a lot of verses, but I think as I was reading through these verses, I was debating. I was like, should I really include all of these things or not? But I think it's a great testimony. And the Bible says we, come, we overcome by the word of our testimony. So I'm going to let these people testify based off of their lives through the word. But it's so encouraging to see what resulted in people's lives simply because they clung on to faith. 
And the Bible instructs us, instructs us to do that, not just to have faith, but to cling on to it, to hold firmly to that. I think about, like, if you're going to swing on a rope, you're not going to hold that loosely because you know what? You're going to fall, and it's going to hurt. But if you're going to swing on a rope, you're going to cling to it really hard. You're going to grab onto it with, with everything that you've got. And Hebrews 11:22 says, It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. And in that, you see, that's not based upon anything that he can see right now. It's literally not until years later when they're departing and leaving, and it's like literally Moses, and they remember to take uh, Joseph's bones with them. And I like that that's included in the Bible because it shows that Joseph's faith was not for naught. Like him saying that was not for nothing. It came to fulfillment, something he could not see at that moment in time. Like, I know you guys are going to get out of this land to the place that God has called you to live. So because of that, I'm going to speak out this word of faith. I'm going to say, oh, yeah, and when you go, take my bones with you. If he didn't believe and he didn't have the faith for it, he wouldn't have said it. Um, And in that, we see the later fulfillment of it. God is never going to let our faith fall flat. No matter how long down the line it is, and I don't believe it's far down the line for anyone um, who's standing strong on faith, but everything comes to fulfillment in that. And complacency wants to keep you in the mindset of being fixated on what's around you, being fixated on only dealing with what you can see. And it's not, I don't want to say that that's a bad thing, but if we can't at some point extend beyond what we can see right around us, it's like we're busy being preoccupied only with what we can see when God's main occupation is already in what we can see, if that makes sense. And it's that push and pull and that conflict of will we ever get to the unseen? And I think that's where the enemy fights us is let me keep you focused and regulated with what you can see because then you'll never step into the unseen, which isn't God's will for us, as we all know. Um, Hebrews 11:17 through 19. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God would be able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. And when I think about that, it's not like God didn't say that this is the son through all my promises will come through you. I think will come to you through. I think it would have been easier if he didn't know. Like, oh, okay, like, I guess I still have Ishmael. So, like, if this son really dies, then, like, God will just, like, readjust the promise to go there. But God had already said No, it's not Ishmael. It's going to be Isaac. And this is the only way that this blessing is going to come to you. So you think about the level of faith that you have to have to say, this is the way that God spoke it to me. And basically what he's saying is counteracting the promise that he made to me, but being so confident and resting in such assurance that you say, uh, like Abraham, he reasoned, No matter what, God has to come through some way, somehow. Even if it's a resurrection story, there's going to be a story because I know that his promise is not going to fail. I know that his promise is not going to fall flat. And when you think about Abraham walking up that mountainside with his son and, like, everything that they need for the sacrifice, all that Abraham sees around him is what was necessary for the sacrifice that God's called him to. He only sees his son as the sacrifice. He only sees the sacrifice materials that he has. And he only sees himself as the person sacrificing. That's all that was there. That's all that was in the present reality for Abraham to grab a hold of. 
but God who operates in the unseen realm, but everything that was unseen for Abraham to have in that moment. And we know that the ram and the thicket comes and then they all like sacrifice that instead of Isaac. And that's great, but I don't know. The part that me, for me that really stands out is the fact really just to believe God that seriously. And I think about my own life. I'm like, God, I need to make sure I believe you that seriously that if you told me to go left and then you tell me to do something that means I need to go right, I'm still going to end up on the left because that's what you promised and that's what you told me to do. And Hebrews 11:28, it was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. And when I was reading that, sorry, I was like, what precedent is there for that to do anything? And I think about the faith that all of Israel had to have. Like, yes, they were just believing and following the direction of Moses. But I'm like, if an angel of death is coming, like, what is this little bit of blood going to do to keep that from coming? Like, why is that going to be what saves me? Why is that the difference? Why does that help? Why does that work? But it's purely faith. It's things that don't make sense. Things that, you know, in our natural realm and our thoughts and our, like, conscious mind, we're like, okay i guess and i'm sure like if it's like either my firstborn being killed or me following this instruction you're going to follow the instruction anyway but i think about moses like just standing bold in faith to say like oh yeah we're going to do this and it's going to work that's only by a step of faith that you can see that that's relying nothing on what you can see in the natural realm and of course israel had all of their pushback with moses and i think moses is a great testament and that's why even through his shortcomings he's so highly um thought of in the bible and when you think about the new testament and how they think of moses it's because he was placed in so many hard spots where it was like none of this makes sense and i purely have to stand on faith these people literally want to kill me and i purely have to stand on faith to deliver these messages to them and hebrews 11:32 through 34 how much more do i need to say It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. And I think the reason why I felt to include that, which is like one, the closing of all these stories, but two is because it proves to us what happens when we act on faith. Things that would have been impossible for man became possible because they operated in God and with God. And when I think about how much more God wants to partner with us now, like you're thinking of Old Testament stories where Jesus hadn't died and hadn't sacrificed himself on the cross yet. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them the way that we have that now. They had so, to me, I feel bad for the people in the Old Testament. I'm like, you guys had it so much worse than I have it. Like, when I think about the Israelites and all of these things, they had to rely so much on themselves. Like, we're not slaves to sin anymore because of what Jesus did. There's so much freedom that we have that didn't necessarily exist in that way in the Old Testament. But they accomplished and they achieved so much. Like, it says their weakness was turned into strength. Like, can we imagine if we had the faith for every area of weakness in our life to be turned to strength? Like, how much more we would do, how much more we could accomplish for God? 
and James 1, 6 through 8, which I did include and I did reference earlier. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Which is harsh to receive at face value, but it is what it is. We can't be divided. Complacency if not dealt with correctly, brings that division. Because if you're a believer, you're going to have those moments of faith. No matter how much your flesh pushes it down, no matter how much you want to fight that or resist that, that's going to be there. Like, your faith is always going to want to fight complacency. And if you allow yourself to remain divided instead of actually acting on that faith, it's just going to breed an unsettled spirit within you, honestly. And I don't really, I don't want to add to that. I'm just going to leave that as that. But... Um, it all predicates upon acting. And that was the last point. Now, faith acts. Faith moves. Faith does something. Uh, James two twenty one through 23 says, Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was chosen to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. And wouldn't we all like to be called friends of God? Um, But it just starts with our faith, and it starts with believing. And Abraham is like the name of the day. But the point is that he allowed what he believed to come together with his action and what he chose to do. You can believe something, but if you don't act on it, it doesn't support the fact that you claim to believe it, if that makes sense. So if I say, I believe God to do X, Y, and Z, And I know what the action of doing that would look like, but I choose not to do it. It's hard to stand on the ground of, I believe, X, Y, and Z. Such a great example, I know. But um, Hebrews 11.7 says, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. And I think... What's like really cool about the story of Noah is that it had never rained before. So I can't imagine trying to tell people about something that has never happened before, but being so convinced just because God told me that it was going to happen. I mean, I hope that's what all of us would do. Like, no one's ever seen it before, but God told me, so I'm fully convinced of it. But that's really hard. And when you think about Noah, like, that's like beginning, beginning. That's right before um, we enter into, like, the second part of the Old Testament. So... It's knowing and seeing who God is and acting and everything else freely flowing merely out of that point. Like I said, nothing added, nothing subtracted from that. That's simply what God wants for us. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. I know this is a lot of scripture. I might like chop the last one. But it says, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner, living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. And I think that's interesting because we think about, like, our unwillingness sometimes just to do little things that God asks us to do. But Abraham was called to leave his home country. And 
I mean, now it's different. I mean, I don't want to say it's different. Living as a foreigner, like, that's not an easy thing to do, but especially not in those times. You went from a place where you were known, where your family was known, all of your family lives there. You have this lineage, and now you're going to live as a foreigner and not all of the same rights that are afforded to people who are homegrown there are afforded to foreigners. It's pretty much the same way today. Um, you don't reap all of the same benefits when you take on the status of a foreigner as you do when that's your nation of origin. So here we see that Abraham just humbly chooses to obey God. And later in Hebrews 11, like as it's closing out, it says that these people didn't even see like all of the promises of God fulfilled. But their faith clung to the vision of what it would look like for those things to be fulfilled. Like here Abraham is referencing um, an eternal city. Obviously, that's not anything that has yet to happen in Abraham's life. It's talking about the promises of God to come. The promises that honestly didn't come or won't come until the end of the age. And we see that it all predicates upon Jesus. But Abraham, yes, Jesus exists throughout the Bible, all the Old Testament. You know, Jesus is God, all of those great things. The Trinity has always existed. I think, well, not I think, but sometimes it's like hard, especially like with youth age kids. You're like, no, Jesus didn't come into existence just when he stepped into the New Testament. Like he's always been a thing. So I always feel like the need to put that out there. Like, yes, Jesus has always been. But um, Abraham didn't know Jesus the way that we know Jesus is a point I was trying to make. So, based off of that, he didn't know the promise of Jesus the way that we know the promise of Jesus. He didn't have that knowledge. He didn't have that foreknowledge of what he was expecting. He just knew this is what the Lord said. This is a promise to come, and I'm looking forward to it. And he had to look forward to something that wasn't even going to come to pass in his generation. But he didn't do it with spite. He didn't do it with doubt. He didn't do it with bitterness. He did it with faith. And I think that's just the right perspective for each of us to take. Um, Last two verses, I promise. Uh, Hebrews 11:23 says, It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given, him an un- had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. And I think when you think about the times and, like, all the ramifications that could have happened for them being disobedient, I'm not, like, for disobedience or anything like that, but I'm saying they saw something that God had placed in their child, and they acted and they moved on it. And that was all that mattered to them. It wasn't about how it was going to affect them. It wasn't a selfish thing of, like, if I do this, this will happen to me, or if this ends badly, like, this will be my portion as a result of it. It was purely just being obedient to what they saw, acting on what they saw, and not turning to the right or the left for it, but just heading straight down that path that they knew was the right thing to do in that moment. In Hebrews 11:29 through 30, It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea, as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow them, they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. And those last few verses, I really just think, and I don't know, my heart just resonates so much with faith acts, with just doing and acting purely out of faith and saying that that's enough. But not just that that's enough, but seeing what God did as a result of their faith acts. The people, people of Israel had never seen, like, the sea create two walls like that so that they could walk through it. The, when they were marching around Jericho, the walls coming crashing down like that, they had never seen that. Like, those are miraculous things to happen. And it's so powerful to see 
that believers being faithful in their acts produces miraculous works from God. And I think about how much more that can produce. You know, we talk about America and how we don't see as many miracles as there are in some other countries and different things like that. But how much more would we see if we were just committed to acts of faith? If we were just committed to doing things because this is what the Lord said to do. And so, so deep down in my heart, I just know that this is going to produce something miraculous because I'm acting on faith in what God is doing. And it's not that, you know, oh, I'm only satisfied if something miraculous happens. But it's the guarantee. It's the promise because it's who God is. God isn't calling us out in faith just because. Like, yes, sometimes it is a test. But for the most part, it's because he wants to do something. A lot of God's instruction, not even a lot, all of God's instruction is for our own benefit. When I think about the way that God's blessing works and different things like that, it's like God calls us to do things simply so that he can bless us for them because he loves us and he cares for us. He's like, hey, if you're obedient, that means I get to bless you. Please be obedient here. And that's the loving hand of the Father is just, I want to bless you. I want to give you good gifts. I want all of these great things for you. So just follow me. Be obedient to my teaching. Be obedient to my leading. And the action of obedience is a declaration of trust. We're not going to be obedient to something if we think it's going to ruin our lives. Or I sure hope we wouldn't. But for things that don't make sense and we choose to still be obedient, it's the most beautiful picture to God of us placing our trust in him. It's the most beautiful picture to him of us saying, this doesn't make sense in any natural way, shape, or form. But because I trust you, I'm still going to press in on this. And obedience is merely just acting on our faith. It's stepping out and saying, God, I trust you. God, I believe you. And as we close this morning and the worship team can come up, um, I mentioned earlier before that faith can be like so many different things for us. And I didn't like write anything for closing or any points to think of because I was like, Lord, I really like just want you to speak whatever it is that you want for the closing. But I really feel like right now, like the Lord is saying, like whatever it is that you are needing to stretch your faith for, not so much that you don't have faith for anything, but being daring to have greater faith for greater things in your life, whatever that is, um, just us taking a time to submit that to the Lord. Um, I know what I said was a lot, but I think it's a great reminder of how much God cares for us and how much he watches over our faith. Like our faith doesn't just go out empty into the air with like no landing point or no purpose or no launching pad. But it goes out like an arrow. Like it goes out with direction and it goes out with purpose. And our faith is so spot on because of who God is. Like our faith is not meaningless because of who God is. It all has a point and it all has purpose. And if that is for you today it might not be you might say yeah i'm doing peachy keen and that's great but then i would just encourage you like what more can you be believing for because the more we believe is the greater perspective we have on god the more we believe is going to be the greater we get to see god and we've never reached that point and i think that's the most important part is we're never done seeing what god has for us we're never done seeing the fullness of god until that day Uh, When we see the glory of God in his fullness and we're all, you know, in our heavenly glorified bodies, we're not going to have that. So while we're here, we can still set our hearts to pressing in towards what that looks like here, to pressing in towards all we can receive from God here. God doesn't want a low-level relationship with us that doesn't produce anything. God wants a relationship with us that produces exploits for his kingdom. And that's God's promises, not just for people who feel 
called to ministry or called to do this or called to do that. That's God's promise for every single believer. That's God's promise for every single person. And it's God's desire for every person to become a believer. It's not his will that any should perish. So that means no one's too far gone, like no one's too far off, that that's what God wants for everyone. So even if that's you today online and you've never accepted Jesus, I would encourage you to take that opportunity right now. The Bible tells us for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and for the wages of sin is death. But the Bible also tells us that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's a whosoever and everyone is a whosoever. So that qualifies for everyone. Everyone is included in that. If you simply call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And for everyone else who maybe wants to stretch themselves, wants to encourage themselves in their faith, in stepping out, in being bolder, I would just say take the time now as we do this last worship song. If you're here in the room and you come up or you stay in your seat, whatever it looks like for you, I would just say have a time with God, even if it's not faith-related. Just have a time in all of this craziness where instead of seeking anything else, we just seek the face of God. We just seek what it is that he has for us because God always has something for us, whether it's a word, whether it's, I don't know, anything he wants to speak to us, anything he wants to show us, whatever it is. But I just encourage you all to take that time. I'm going to pray in closing. But I would encourage you to do whatever it is that the Lord leads you to do. Lord, thank you so much uh, for the ability to have faith in you, Lord. Thank you for what that means. Thank you for the weight that that carries, Lord. Thank you that our faith extended is never missing a mark is never failing Lord, but it always lands somewhere and with you god it always lands on good ground i thank you lord that you are calling us all to greater faith lord i thank you that you are calling us all to believe you for more to set you above ourselves lord to set you in your rightful place lord i thank you for reminding us who we are and who you are god i thank you for continuing to encourage us lord i thank you that the story that you have for each and every single one of us is special but it requires you to bring it to completion lord i thank you for the partnership that we can have with you lord that we're not functioning as independent beings by ourselves, lord but that we work in tandem with you lord that you partner with us and give us all the power all the strength, all the wisdom, all the knowledge that we need to accomplish what it is that you've placed before us, God. I thank you for purity of grace, purity of mercy, purity of faith, all of those things, Lord, that we don't do it in ourselves, God, but we do it through your lens, we do it through your perspective, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you're speaking love into each and every single heart, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we see ourselves the way that you see us, Lord, and that we see you for the way the Bible lays you out, Lord. Nothing less than that, Lord. Lord. I thank you that you're continuing to work on hearts right now, Lord. I thank you that you're speaking faith into every single heart, Lord. I thank you that you're challenging us to think and dream bigger for what you have for us, Lord. I thank you for the increase of vision, for the increase of perspective, and not just the increase, but the accuracy of those things, Lord. I thank you for your truth, and I thank you, Lord, for saving us, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice that you paid on the cross for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring 